Being seated, I invite you to take a Bible, if you will, and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church, the young church, the new church in Ephesus. Our text for this Christ the King Sunday comes from Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 15. May the Holy Spirit reveal to you something new and fresh from these words. Paul wrote saying, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks to you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. My friends, this is the word of God. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Coming on the heels of a Thanksgiving holiday, I hope that you, I hope that you realize how rich you are. I hope that you realize how rich you are. I hope that you realize all of the wealth that you possess because of who Jesus Christ is, because of what he has done for you, what he and he alone can do for you and for me. I I think a lot of Christians fall woefully short of realizing how rich they are in Jesus Christ. We have been given so much in Jesus Christ, and sometimes we're just simply ignorant of our wealth. There's a story about the newspaper magnate, uh, William Randolph Hearst, who was fabulously wealthy, and he loved to collect great artwork. And he sent one of his agents traveling the world looking for a particular piece of art because he wanted to possess it. And after the agent traveled many, many places, it was his agent who realized that what William Randolph Hearst wanted to possess, he already had. It was hidden there in his warehouse full of art treasures. 
Sometimes we're completely ignorant of what we possess. Here in this text, in Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians, he's trying to help us understand what we have received in Jesus Christ. There's far too many Christians in the Christian community, the church, who think that Jesus is is just their punched ticket for heaven. They think that Jesus is just simply fire insurance for the afterlife. But Jesus obviously gives us the gift of heaven. Jesus obviously gives us the gift of eternal life. But Jesus gives us so, so very much more. We can never make enough of Jesus. We should always strive to make more and more and more of Jesus. Here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul soars to great heights theologically. This whole text I read for you a few moments ago in, first, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, is, is one sentence in the Greek. You talk about a run-on sentence. Paul is so excited about this topic that he's sharing with the church in Ephesus, that he's sharing with us this morning. You feel his energy as he brings this text to you. Keep in mind... Paul is in prison when he writes the letter to the Ephesian Christian. This is one of his prison epistles, and here we see an insight into Paul's prayer life as Paul is there in prison. I wonder, I wonder what is on our prayer list. I wonder what it is we pray for other people. I wonder what we would be praying if we were in a Roman prison possibly awaiting our execution. Here in this text before us this morning, you get a glimpse into the heart of Paul, and you get a glimpse into what it is that Paul wants to pray for in regards to those Ephesian Christians. He is in prison. He's writing this text to them. He wants them to know how rich they are in Jesus Christ. He wants them to understand that they have not even begun to plumb the depth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us. So here in this text before us this morning, you hear Paul begin to talk about what's on his prayer list. He introduces it by saying, verse 15, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. You notice he is saying that the Ephesian Christians were devout believers in Jesus Christ. And the way that he knows they're devout believers in Jesus Christ, the way that he knows they have a great faith in Jesus Christ is because of their love toward all the other Christians. Those are two sides of the same coin. If we profess faith in Christ, if we have really given our hearts to Jesus Christ, that means we live differently. That means we love differently. We love in extravagance to the people around us. That's why Paul could say, I know of your faith. I know of your love because they come together. And he says, because of all this that I know, for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks to you as I remember you in my prayers. He literally says there in the Greek, I make mention of you in my prayers. 
I think Paul's prayer list was extensive. I think there are many people on his prayer list. And he just made mention of those names to God in prayer. He didn't have to editorialize. He didn't have to get a lot of details regarding those names on his prayer list. He just made mention. He remembered them. He made mention of them as he prayed. We do that, by the way, on Wednesday evenings when we gather in the chapel for our Vesper service. We have a time in our worship where we pray for those people that God has laid upon our hearts. And we have a time in worship where we just make mention. We just simply call their name before God. I think that's what Paul did frequently in prayer. And then you begin to hear what's on his prayer list. Verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And here comes the petitions. Here comes what he's praying for. Again, I wonder what's on your prayer list. I wonder what it is you pray for those that you love. I wonder what it is you pray for your children and your grandchildren. Look at what Paul prays for here. He says, I pray that God, our, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of glory may give, here's the first petition, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. First thing he asks for is he prays that these Ephesian Christians will be filled with spiritual wisdom and a spirit of revelation so that they can comprehend, so that they can apprehend and understand what it is that God has done for them in Jesus Christ. And it's through that spiritual wisdom, it's through that spirit of revelation that they come to know Jesus Christ, come to know him better and better and better. The Greek verb there implies an ongoing tense, knowing him better and better and better. So what Paul's praying for here is that these Ephesian Christians would come to know God, God through Jesus Christ better and better and better. The intimacy with God would continue to grow. It's all about relationship. And the way that we grow in this relationship with God is through the spiritual wisdom, spirit of revelation that God has given us. We cannot discern what's in this book with our natural mind. The Apostle Paul says very clearly, as human beings, we are blinded to spiritual truth. But it's the grace of God in Jesus Christ that can take the blinders away from us and we can begin to discern spiritual wisdom and the spirit of revelation, what it is that God has revealed to us. But our blind eyes can keep us completely ignorant of all that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing Paul says he's going to pray for, is that they will have more spiritual wisdom and revelation as they continue to know him. Verse 18, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened... Some of you don't even know you've got eyes of the heart. The heart is the central part of our personality. The heart is our emotions, our, our will, our intellect, our personality. And it's that heart that can see reality. So Paul is saying that, that he wants the eyes of their heart to be so enlightened that they may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So Paul is praying that they really know the hope. They know the hope that's theirs in Jesus Christ. Hope in the Bible is not a hope so. Hope in the Bible is not a vague wish or a vague idea that the future will turn out in a positive way. 
Hope in the Bible is connected closely to the object of hope, to Jesus Christ. The power of our hope is only as good as the object of our hope. We hope in Jesus Christ, and because we hope in Jesus Christ, we know that he is who he says he is. We know that he will do what he says he will do, and that's why we can have confidence. We can have an assurance about this life and the life to come. Paul wants them to grasp the hope that's theirs in Jesus Christ. And he also says he wants them to grasp what are the riches of his, his, God's, glorious inheritance among the saints. Usually when we see the word inheritance in the New Testament, we think what we inherit because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. But if you notice the text closely here, Paul is referencing his inheritance, God's inheritance, God's inheritance among the saints. God's inheritance that's scattered throughout the saints. We never think much about the riches of God. We, we know, as the psalmist says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But here this text tells us that part of God's inheritance is you, is me. We are part of God's glorious inheritance. We are those people where Jesus Christ is doing something in our lives. We are trophies of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We are part of God's riches as we live and die as trophies of God's grace. God refuses. God refuses to live in glory without us. We are his inheritance. He has done what is necessary for us in Jesus Christ so that we can live in glory with him. We are part of his glorious inheritance. And then Paul gets to the point of talking about what I think he really wants to talk about here. After he's talked about spiritual wisdom and revelation, as after he's talked about getting to know Jesus better, after he's talking about the great hope that's ours in Jesus Christ and how we can live as part of God's glorious inheritance, he begins to talk about power. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? Paul is so excited at this point in the Greek text, he uses four different words for power. He wants us to understand the power that resides within each one of us as Christ follows. Notice he's not praying that they would receive power. He's praying they would understand the power that they have received. This immeasurable greatness of his power for us, to us who believe, according to the working of his great power. And in case this is a novel idea to you, in case you don't understand the power that resides within you, and you need to know a little bit more about this power, Paul begins to illustrate it. He wants to paint a picture of the power that is within you. Look at verse 20. God put this power that he's speaking of to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. 
So this power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, this power that ascended Jesus Christ to be seated at the right hand of the Father, that's the place of power and authority and reign and rule. This is the power that resides in us. This is the power that has placed Jesus at the right hand of God far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. I think Paul as a good Jew at this point is talking about all the, the realities of the invisible realm all the powers and principalities and dominions that are loosed in this world in the invisible realm that make themselves visible through human history. But he's saying Jesus is far above all of these powers and principalities, all of the spiritual realities in life in this age and, of course, in the age to come. Then verse 22, he begins to wrap it up. He says, and he put all things... He, God, the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and made him the head over all things for the church. Those are the three most startling words in this text for me. For the church. God has done all that God has done. God has done all that God has done in Jesus Christ. God has accomplished all that God has accomplished, and God will accomplish all that he says he will accomplish for us, for the church. Now, again, we, we know it's basic. The church is not the building. The church is the people. The word church, ecclesia, in the Greek just means called out people. So all that God has done in Jesus Christ, all that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ, he has done it for us. He's made Jesus' head over all things for us. And then in verse 23, he, he names who we are a little more expressly when he says, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we're the church. We're the body of Christ. We are intimately connected to Jesus Christ. We're the body of Christ, the physical presence of Jesus in the world. We are the ongoing incarnation of Jesus in the world. We are the means whereby Jesus does Jesus' ministry in the world. As the body of Christ, we're the spirit-filled, spirit-animated people of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who God declares us to be if we are in Christ. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's in his body, in his church, among his people, that the fullest presence of God is experienced through the reality of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what he has done. Those are the riches that we possess now, I know that some of you, some of us might have woke, we might have woke up this morning feeling really, really down. As some people say down south, you feel lower than a bow-legged caterpillar. Maybe you feel that way right now. I hope that if you will receive who God says you are in Christ. I hope that as you receive what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, I hope that as he and Paul is trying to plead with the Ephesians to understand the, the wealth 
that we have in Jesus Christ. I hope that this makes an amazing difference in your life today and all the, li- all the days to come and all of the life on the other side. Paul keeps waxing eloquent. Paul keeps soaring in, with great theological heights in his letter to the Ephesians. And in chapter 20, he makes his way to benediction. But like any good preacher, he keeps preaching for a couple more chapters. But he makes his way to benediction in chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says amen. So we say amen.